Welcome back to the Engaged Prospect podcast. My name is Dan Hirsch, and I'm founder and president of Engaged Prospect. Today, I have with me a really special guest. Carol Mahoney is the founder of a company called Unbound Growth. She has a really extensive background. She's coached Harvard Business School entrepreneurs in their MBA programs on sales, She's been featured as a top 15 sales influencer in 2020 this year by LinkedIn. She's a woman to watch in sales by Sales Hacker and a top sales coach by Ambition. Salespeople who have gone through this program at Unbound Growth have gone from on plan to top performers and closed some of the largest deals in their company's histories. Managers work with her and they've coached their teams to achieve 130 plus percent of quota while also increasing customer retention to over 98%. Wow. Carol, you've worked with sales executives. You cut their hiring time in half, and you help increase the success of sales hires by over 90%. And I am so glad you're on this show because I, I got to understand how you're doing this. Welcome <laughs> to the Engaged Prospects Podcast. Thanks so much for having me today, Dan. Oh, you are welcome. It's, it's awesome to have you. I've been looking forward to this since, since we first met a few weeks ago. Yeah, me too. So tell, us, tell us a little bit about your background. I just, I just gave the highlights, but how did you get there? You know, it wasn't a traditional sales background that I grew up with. I actually grew up in a family of entrepreneurs in the Boston area. And when I went to college later in life, I went to college for marketing because in my mind, if I can figure out a way to help prospects and companies uh, to get more people to be interested in their products and services, I thought marketing was the way for us to grow companies. Um, and it was in like 2007, I think I graduated when I went back to school as an adult and internet and inbound marketing was just starting to come, you know, alive for businesses in the middle of our recession. It was a way for us to move forward. And so I really specialized in the marketing side of things and lead generation and got, you know, kind of wrapped up in the psychology of influencing and motivation and sales. And one of the things that I kept finding that was happening with my clients that were small business owners, startups, and some growing companies is that we were helping them to deliver more leads than they've ever gotten before. Qualified leads in their target counts, in their target companies, and sales wasn't going up enough to make it really worthwhile. And I had to ask myself, why is this happening? And I started kind of digging into it and found that now, this was back again in 2009, 2010, that a lot of the salespeople were still using the tactics from the 1990s and 80s on internet educated buyers, and it wasn't working. And so sales needed to find a way to change and adapt to, to the day's modern buyer. And it was a big change for a lot of people, and it still is a big change for a lot of people. And so I started digging into, all right, how do we get people to change their long-held behaviors, which then led me into leading it into understanding these is leading like the long-held beliefs that they've had like it's not just what they're doing it's how they're thinking about it and so to influence that behavior to get people to engage with buyers the way that they wanted to i found myself diving into this cognitive behavioral approach to sales and sales coaching because a lot of veteran salespeople for a long time have certain beliefs and mindsets. New people coming into sales have those similar same things that are holding them up from not just doing the things that they know to do, but even sometimes learning how to do the things that they need to do. So that's kind of how I went from 
being in lead generation to then working with sales teams to adapt their approaches to appeal to the buyer that we have today. Um, so not very traditional method. I worked with a lot of startups, but I think it's really given me a good perspective of how buyers think and on the front lines, how sellers think and like the dynamic that's happening between the two. I can honestly say that the typical discussions don't lead to words like cognitive behavioral. And um, for those listening, there, there is a difference between cognitive behavioral sales coaching and cognitive behavioral therapy that, that typically is what jumps out when you, when you mm -hmm. hear those, those words. Tell, yeah. tell us more about um, what, that, what that means to you just to frame the rest of our conversation. So cognitive behavioral approach to sales coaching and even sales training, um, and, and the thing that it has in common with cognitive behavioral therapy, there's actually a couple of things it has in common. One is that cognitive behavioral means that we're addressing the person's beliefs and mindsets towards a particular action. It's actually rooted in what's called the theory of reason action, which basically say, states that it's our attitudes and our beliefs towards a behavior or an action that dictates whether or not we'll even do it or how we'll even do it. And so for a lot of companies who are investing a lot of money in training are finding still that salespeople are only reaching 50% of quota because they're not addressing the underlining reason why the behaviors are happening. So it's first addressing those beliefs. And then the other thing that cognitive behavioral therapy and cognitive behavioral approach to sales coaching and training have is that we're not only addressing the beliefs, but it's the way that they're being addressed. So traditional therapy is like, you know, you, you kind of talk free form about what's going on and how you feel and what you think is going to be, you know, the thing that you need to work on. And the therapist asks, well, how do you feel about that? And they're really just, they're asking you a lot of questions so that you can understand, you know, how you feel about something or what the way forward is. And the way that cognitive behavioral therapy is different is that it is actually challenging some of those beliefs that we have about certain things to change the way that we view them so that, you know, for example, if you went through some kind of a trauma, the thoughts and beliefs and mindsets that you have around that are the things that are, you're having to deal with later on in your life. And so the therapist in cognitive behavior will address that belief before they try to then tackle the behavior. And so in coaching, a lot of times what I'm doing is traditional sales coaching where you're asking a lot of questions to understand or get them to understand where this is coming from. But the cognitive part comes in when you start digging into what specific beliefs are causing that particular mindset to happen. And the other thing is, is that cognitive behavioral is not the only way to do sales coaching, but it's a very important facet. And it's not something that you do long term. Um, I typically will work with clients in a one-on-one -on -one coaching situation for about no more than 12 months for a couple of reasons. One is cognitive behavioral is a short-term uh, way to change beliefs and mindsets and the frequency in which that happens. But the other reason is I don't want someone to feel like I'm their, I don't want to say crutch, but almost like uh, I want them to be able to develop the strategy so that they can start to address and challenge their own beliefs and mindsets on their own. It's really more about teaching them the strategies and ways to do that and challenging some of their long held beliefs. Is it, is it fair to say, you mentioned a little while ago, the, the word tactics. Mm. And I'm, I'm wondering if maybe a differentiator is it's, 
less, and, and please correct me, I'm sure I'm wrong, so help me out <laughs> here. Uh, is it less about like, say this word at this point and you will get a new partnership or ask this question when they say this and you'll overcome an objection? Is it mm -hmm. less about that and more about the, the mindset and the, the overarching kind of understanding of what a salesperson is doing or, or fill, fill me in there? It's a little, it's actually both. So the tactic, do this or say this at this time, I'll give you a, a, an example. A lot of people have read the book, The Challenger Sale, and a lot of people have tried to do the things that The Challenger Sale does. And I don't know if this has happened to you, Dan, or to anyone else who's listening in, but if you've ever had that salesperson who's just a jerk and they mm -hmm. think that they're executing on the challenger sale because they're trying to challenge the way that you think about thing, which is a cognitive behavioral approach, by the way. Um, so what happens is that we learn a tactic and we say, all right, I'm going to do this at this time. But when we get in the moment when we need to execute on the tactic, because we don't have the beliefs and mindsets that support us, we either don't do it the way that we should, or we chicken out from doing it. And then we try to scramble and try and do it later. And so it just doesn't come off well. And so mm -hmm. a lot of times that might be because the salesperson is wrapped up in their own thoughts. They're not fully present in the conversation. So they're not picking up any cues from the other person because they're not actually actively listening. Or it could be that the salesperson has a need for approval and that need for approval is causing them to chicken out when they do need to ask the tough question at the right time. Or the salesperson has a, what we call a non-supportive buy cycle where they have to do a lot of research and figure out the best price and all of these things to delay the decision. And so then when their buyer says, well, you know what, we're going to need to go and do our due diligence and we're probably going to need to get a price. The salesperson thinks, oh yeah, sure. I would do the same thing. And so what happens is that the belief, even though we know with a tactic, doesn't support us in actually executing it. And that's why cognitive behavioral approach to sales coaching is so important because you can beat on your team to say, I need you to do this. And it's really kind of counter counterproductive to actually getting them to do it. I have a perfect example of this. Michael Douglas is a client of mine, not the actor. He's an actual salesperson. Let uh, me just clarify. <laughs> that's way too bad. I, was I know, right? Can you imagine? Was, yeah. That would totally be in my bio if that were the case. Um, I think so. I would have introduced you as, um, who cares about her background, but she knows Michael <laughs> Douglas. <laughs> we're going to talk about that. Absolutely. <laughs> so All right. He, Michael Douglas, the sales guy. <laughs> Michael Douglas, the salesperson, uh, came to me after working, I think he was in his second year of working with the startup software company that he's working with. And he was doing okay. And he felt like he wanted to do better. I mean, I don't know a salesperson out there that's worth their salt that doesn't feel a little bit like that. And he had gone through the company's orientation. He had gone to sales training events, some that were put on by his company, others that he actually purchased for himself. He'd read all of the books. He listened to all of the podcasts. And he will admit that he forgot most of the training a week later or whatever it was that he heard on the podcast. And he may remember a couple of those nuggets. We all have had those few nuggets that we take away from a book or a training. And he would try them out for about like 30 to 90 days. And then after some time though, he would regress back to whatever his old habits were. And he got frustrated. He felt like he was financially plateauing and he just didn't know what it was that he was doing wrong. Like, I'm hoping that there are salespeople out there right now that are like, yep, I know what that's like. I know I do. Uh, 
I know what that's like, certainly. Exactly. And so Michael sought out a personal trainer and coach, just like he would do anytime he was trying to get into shape because he knew that that outside perspective and accountability was something that would help him. And so when I first talked with Michael, though, even though he knew this was something he needed to do, he was still very hesitant. He wanted to do more. He wanted to be better. This was an investment that he was going to be making in himself and his career, but he couldn't get past the price. He doubted making the decision. He needed to think it over for days and days on end. He had to compare it to all kinds of other coaching programs out there and talk to a whole lot of people like his prospects would do to him. So I challenged him and I challenged his belief that he needed to do all of this research and compare prices and get everyone else's opinion by asking him that. Do a lot of your deals and decision makers in your process do the same thing to you? Could it be that when you get that price objection or stall, it's your thinking, like we talked about just a minute ago, this is a lot of money. I can understand wanting to think it over. I would do the same thing. And that's sure. when Michael told me the story of a pen. Now, if you could see the picture of this pen, I actually have it when I'm doing some talks. This is a fountain pen. It has a split tip. It's got this steel case. It has this nice velvet lining. He's had this pen on his Amazon wish list for over a year. He wanted the pen, but he felt guilty for getting it for himself because he was a father with a young family to provide for. Why does he need this frivolous pen? The frivolous pen cost $20. Michael knew what to do in his trainings, and for the most part, he was able to do it. But when it came time for him to handle the delays and the price objections of his prospects, his belief that he had to educate buyers, that he had to have the best price himself, got in his way of actually doing that. And this pen was a representative of all of that. It's kind of like when we're trying to lose weight, and in trying to lose weight, we know that we should eat our vegetables and we should exercise. But we're in the moment and we're hungry and we walk past the pizza place with the smell of the cheesy pepperoni spicy pizza or ordering a salad. We choose the pizza. This was Michael choosing the pizza. And so after working with him and using this cognitive behavioral approach that I'll share a little bit more about, he sold three times more six-figure deals in six months than he had in the previous two years. And I think last week or two weeks ago, I just talked with him and he, again, had closed the largest deal in company history. And he now has an entire pen and ink collection set. This is an example of a salesperson who's hungry, who's wanting to improve, who does all of the trainings and is so frustrated because he can't figure out what am I doing wrong? And managers feel the same way and leaders feel the same. And they're just banging their heads against the wall. Like, why aren't they getting it? This could be the missing piece. There are, there have to be countless examples of people just like Michael Douglas that, that do all the right steps and for some reason it just doesn't click mm -hmm. and they get caught up in, in those sometimes very subtle challenges that they can't overcome. How, how did you figure that out? What certainly leave any, any private stuff out, but you sit yeah. down with him and, and ask him a bunch of questions. How do, how do you do that? How do sales leaders get that information from their teams? So before you embark on anything where it's a cognitive behavioral change, anything like that, whether it's in personal or professional life, you have to start with understanding what is the meaningful goal, the personally meaningful goal of you of the individual, or if you're a manager, you're trying to figure out what that is for the person you, you're trying to coach. And what I mean by that isn't just, I need to make this much money. It may end up looking like that, but what it means is what does that mean for you? How is that going to change your life? 
And, you know, for a lot of salespeople that I'm working with, it's they want the financial freedom to be able to make different choices. Uh, they want the financial security uh, or being able to take care of older parents or saving money for a kid's college or when we can travel again, actually travel again. And they have personal meaningful reasons why this is important to them. And we dig into figuring out what that is and how, and we align that then to the company that they're working at, those values, and then how their activities and numbers and metrics are going to align to accomplishing that personally meaningful goal. So in Michael's case, what was interesting is that when we first sat down and did his personally meaningful goals, he had a goal and it was meaningful. And he met that in half the time that he thought he would. And afterwards he said, I never would have thought that this was possible, which makes me think how much more is possible. Like there's so much more that I thought, I never thought that I could do before. And that's why going through that goal setting piece is so important. And there's a lot of, you know, different ways to recognize and encourage people as they go along and setting up these sort of intervals of rewarding systems and all kinds of other psychological hacks that we may have time to get into. But long story short, we then, instead of me asking him a bunch of questions about what I think his strengths and weaknesses are, or him telling me what his strengths and weaknesses are, I wanted to remove the bias from our opinions. Um, and what this is, is actually another psychological uh, theory, which is called the Dunning-Kruger effect. This basically states that we tend to, as human beings, overestimate our strengths and underestimate our weaknesses. So when a manager asks a salesperson, what do you think you need to work on? A lot of times that salesperson is going to come back and it may not exactly be the thing they actually need to work on. But there's something else to this because what the Dunning-Kruger effect also shows is that when someone who has more experience, say a manager who's gone from top rep to then been promoted to manager, they sometimes are suffering from the Dunning-Kruger effect because they look at someone who's struggling with something and they can't understand why they're not getting it. It's so easy to do. I can't even tell you how many salespeople have come to me and said, my manager's given up on me because I'm not getting it. Or how many managers have come to me and are banging their head against the wall and saying, I've told them over and over and over and over and over again, why aren't they getting it? This is why. So when we do to take that bias is I actually have them answer a questionnaire that is third party um, that is very specific to sales. So it's not a personality test. It's not even a communication style test. It's what beliefs, mindsets, and skill sets do you have right now that have supported you in getting here? And what weaknesses do you have that we need to work on to make sure that that doesn't hinder you? A lot of people have this conversation happening about, do you do strength-based coaching or weakness-based coaching? And my response is it's both. We want to leverage the strengths because that's what got you here. But we also want to address the weaknesses because like Superman, you can be great, but you still have some kryptonite you need to be aware of. So that's this, the really second stage of this cognitive behavioral approach is becoming aware of how the beliefs are impacting our mindset, how that is impacting our behaviors. And then what do we need to do to change that? And there's some other strategies cognitively that we do there. And then we start, the cognitive behavioral part of it is then going into a lot of managers when they are doing coaching, they do it once a week, if that, and it's for an hour long. The problem with that is it's very hard to stay real world because it's already happened, whatever they're going to tell you. 
The second problem mm -hmm. with that is after an hour of information, our I mean, after 20 minutes of information, our brains start to become overloaded. So half of whatever that manager is trying to tell their salesperson in a coaching call, which is what most of them do is tell them what to do, it's get, it gets lost. Within an hour, I think 50% of that is lost. So you've just wasted half of your time for them to forget half of it. So what we actually do is we set up shorter calls, 20 minutes, so we don't overload the brain. We make them real world focus on something that's happening now. So we employ what's called the adult learning theory, which means we learn by doing. And we use the foundation of understanding the strengths and weaknesses and the personal goals to motivate them, to coach them through asking questions of how are we going to do this, practicing it, role-playing it, doing simulations so that they get comfortable with the new approach. And then following up and seeing how did it go? How did like, you know, like a, uh, the analogy has been used over and over again, but it works. Any performer, athlete, musician, or otherwise is going to watch their performance tape to see where they can continue to improve. But they've done the practice. They've worked it out beforehand. They don't just walk in, wing it, and then, all right, yeah, I guess I can't do it that way anymore. They still do the practice. So this is kind of bits and pieces of how we apply a cognitive behavioral approach into a traditional sales coaching and training model so that it sticks, so that we see results faster, so that we gain confidence in new skills with employees. And honestly, if you can integrate this in with group coaching in your team, it actually helps to build up morale within the sales organization. And I don't know any company right now that doesn't need that. <laughs> uh, nor do I. <laughs> how, Carol, how do you do this in a way that is not too confusing, especially for sales leaders? I know hmm. oftentimes they're trying to figure out how can I have really, and I love the, the concept of 20 minute sessions, right? But, hmm. but they're trying to figure out like, how do I do this without confusing my team further? Because there's so much that a sales professional needs to know. They have to know their yep. product, they have to know their industry, they have to know the questions that they have to keep track of all the opportunities they're working with. They have to, mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's so, they're so busy and yep. they're so, it's complex. For those not in sales, it's a very complex profession. Yes. Um, more so than you would ever think. How, right. how do you teach such a complex approach to, you know, you're not like a lot of other folks that are like, yeah, I wrote a book about asking this one question. And now for the past 25 years, I've just been teaching this one question in a variety of different ways. And I'm not making fun of that, but yeah. that's less complicated. Yours is super complicated. How do you do it in a way that people can digest it? So to simplify it, it's, it's, I do it in modules. So module one, personal goal setting. There's a five-step process. You go through that and then module two is the objective evaluation, understanding why it's important, how it works and what it means. And then the remaining modules are, all right, what questions to ask? And then the, the, each module builds on itself so that the foundation from module one becomes the motivation and accountability throughout. The foundation of module two and the evaluation, understanding the strengths and weaknesses becomes the foundation throughout. And then the rest of it is really just, all right, here's the questions. And then the simplicity of it comes in those regular coaching calls. There, there are some clients, depending on the amount of work that they want to get done and the amount of time they want to get it done in, I'll talk to them every single day. And every day it's, we're focused on a opportunity, early stage, how do we get it to move forward? And these, all of these things that I just described are the things that are working in the background. 
as I'm having a conversation with them, as I'm building up that awareness of those beliefs. So it's, it's think of it as small bite-sized chunks throughout a week. And then every month we look at and evaluate, all right, where have we made progress? What's going to focus before the next month? Every week we start off the week with what's the focus for this week. So we simplify it by micro-focusing and keeping a big picture level on it on regular basis. Um, I find that a lot of salespeople are able to take this kind of an approach and depending on what kind of training that their company offers, they've actually, and, and I've actually documented some of this, they've actually been able to get more out of training by breaking it down into these smaller chunks, by sequencing them in a way that makes logical sense. And then by, it, it helps them to connect all of those dots together. Like you mentioned before, you know, there's customer knowledge, there's product knowledge, there's how do I communicate? There's these questions, how do, prior, how do I prioritize my time? Because I can only make so many calls and emails in a day. It helps them to connect all of that together, kind of like a glue. That's really, really cool. What do you see being the difference in your work between established sales teams, one com a company that has one sales rep, sales managers, entrepreneurs? I know you work with a variety of subsets mm -hmm. of, of your population. Are, yeah. there, are there differences in your approach depending on who they are? Uh, yes, because they're, depending on who they are, they're going to have different needs. So if I'm working with the CEO or a general manager who has a VP of sales or a CRO, sales leaders, and then salespeople, we're starting by understanding, um, you know, we actually start at the evaluation stage to understand, uh, do I have the right people in the right seats? Uh, do they have the ability to learn? Are they coachable? Are they trainable? Uh, what potential do I have by investing in training and developing my managers and my people? So at that level, we start in a different place. At the manager and sale, at the sales leader CRO level, we're diving into systems and processes to support the framework of coaching and training. Because if you can't measure it, you can't prove that it's working. And, and that includes things like leading and lagging indicators, just as an example. And then for sales managers, it's they're being pulled in a million different directions. And so we really focus there on four areas. One being coaching, because that should be at least 50% of their time and data shows that that is what leads to revenue. Then motivating, keeping teams accountable, and then also recruiting. And so we focus on those four areas. And then, and then at the next level down with salespeople, Salespeople, depending on who they are and depending on their sales cycle and who they're selling to, we then micro-focus for each and like the team as a whole. 80% of them need to work on consultative selling. So we'll do workshops and trainings. And then it comes down to the individual level when we do the one-to-one -one coaching. And that's where we pull in the evaluation and, and the personally meaningful goals to then understand how do I get this individual to help him make or her make the changes in order to get to their personal goals, which is then also aligned to the company goals. So it, it does have a hierarchy and a structure and a, and a, a sort of trickled down effect to it. I have found though, with some clients that come to me as individuals, where their company's not paying for it, they're paying for it themselves. And what I found was happening after the first couple of years of doing this is that those individuals would come to me and we, I would help them to make those changes. But then because of the environment that they're in, 
their managers are not necessarily coaching. Their sales leaders don't have processes and systems set up to help them to succeed. Their CEO doesn't maybe have a good perspective on sales or doesn't support sales, sees it as a necessary evil. And so this has a, an effect on them that causes them to either regress back into what they were doing before or become such a thorn in the side to everyone in the company because they know how to do it better, they end up either leaving or being asked to leave, which wasn't getting anybody anywhere. So that's why there's different levels um, in how you work with each individual, whether it's the CEO or the manager or the salesperson themselves, because it all is connected together. That's absolutely fantastic. Your, your work is really interesting to me. I love how you position it. And I know you're helping a ton of people in our field, which is just great. Thank, thank you for, thank you for, this will sound like, I'm just, I don't even know what this will sound like. I, I mean it sincerely though. Thank you for what you're doing because bringing an academic and really thorough understanding of the psychology to the sales profession is much needed. And I'm really yeah. glad that you did it. This is, this is awesome stuff. How, a few more questions, sure. <laughs> um, very, very easy questions. Um, certainly <laughs> want to find out how we can find you and, and how others yeah. can kind of learn more about you. But before we do that, can I put you on the hot seat with a few things that you're, you're unprepared for? I love it. You have to yes. say, yes, we're filming. Good. Fire okay. away. All right. What was your very first sale ever? Oh boy. Um, my very first sale ever was Girl Scout. This is going to be such a weird story. When I grew up in a bar, my mother worked nights as a waitress. <laughs> and so I spent the majority of my time as a grade schooler in a bar. And you know what? Most people don't believe me when I tell them that I grew up in a bar. But when most kids are seeing the wheels on the bus go round and round, I was seeing the gambler, you know, like you got to know when to hold. <laughs> so my first sale was selling Girl Scout cookies to the people in the bar. And the hardest sale was the old, sorry, this is, this is probably gonna come off wrong, but it was an old cranky lawyer who looked at me and said, why should I buy Girl Scout cookies from you in the bar? <laughs> mm. And it was the, and I was just, and I just looked at him and I said, well, wouldn't it go really great with whatever it is that you're drinking right now? And he laughed and he bought a box of cookies. So that it. was my first sale ever. That is fantastic. So first of all, amazing. Second of all, very good market. I, I right? would, there's, there's probably not many Girl Scouts listening to this podcast. However, <laughs> if there are any, you should, number one, you're going to be the president of the United States. Number two, you definitely should go to the bar because I, I also guarantee that you'll sell a lot of boxes of cookies. Or at least, right. you know what, talk to the restaurant owner, ha let them have you set it up. I mean, like, who's not going to come out of a, a bar or picking up takeout as it is today and not see Girl Scout cookies for dessert and not want to buy some? Nobody. That's exact, exactly right. I could not agree more. I've bought so many, so many things that were less healthy than Girl Scout <laughs> cookies after leaving a bar. So, yes, the, huge marketing strategy there. You we can it's tell all about you, being in the right place at the right time. That's right. I love it. All right. And what is your favorite part of being a salesperson? I love the, I say this sometimes, is that we get the fortunate ability to be the connections between problems and solutions. 
I love the part about being able to help people solve problems with solutions that are in their best interest. It is the ultimate way to serve and help other people. And it's also why I love doing what I do. Like people like Michael Douglas who come to me years later and say, I never would have thought that this was possible. That is worth more to me than any amount of money that you could ever give me. And I think as a salesperson, I mean, yes, there are those that are motivated by money, but the data actually shows that the majority of top salespeople are intrinsically motivated. They're motivated by making the world a better place, by doing their best, by doing something in the best interest of someone else and solving problems. I think that's the best part of being in sales. You are excellent. Thank you. Carol Mahoney, again, founder of Unbound Growth and clearly someone everybody needs to talk to. How do we find you? You can find me on the website at unboundgrowth.com. You can Google me and you'll find my LinkedIn. You'll find my Facebook. You will find my Twitter. Uh, at least if I've been doing my job, you will. Um, and I'm pretty easy to find on Twitter. It's just I, Carol Mahoney, or on Instagram as Carol Mahoney, or as Facebook as Carol Mahoney, or on LinkedIn. As Carol Mahoney. As Carol Mahoney. <laughs> that's, the, that's the only one you didn't tell us as. So I was hoping it was implied, on, but yes. <laughs> and, and on LinkedIn as I know Michael Douglas. <laughs> it, it, it was a, a, I, told, an absolute, I asked Michael before I told the story, I said, is it all right if I use your name and everything? He's like, oh yeah, you can make me internet famous. I'm like, you already are, but okay, thank you. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. Um, another, another quick example mm -hmm. of how to be a, a top performing sales rep is just take the name of a famous person. So when you cold call into an account and say, my name's Michael Jordan, they'll listen for at least 10 seconds. Exactly. That's Michael, Michael Douglas's strategy right there. Carol, <laughs> it, it was an absolute pleasure. I wish you nothing but the best. And, um, I, I really do hope we can catch up. Uh, another time and do this again. And for the rest of this summer, I wish you nothing but wonderful kayaking and great hikes in the woods and uh, enjoy the summer up in Maine. Yes. And thank you. And the same to you and everyone listening in. Um, it's, I'm going to have a beautiful summer. I hope everyone does too. Awesome. It was an absolute pleasure. We'll talk soon. Thanks, Dan.